Welcome back, Earthlings. Welcome back, for the last time, to the apartment library. Because soon it's going to be the condo library. Because we're moving out of our apartment. <laughs> we read Earthlings by Sayaka Murata. Translated by Ginny Tapley Takemori. Same as Convenience Store Woman, which if you haven't read, hard recommend. Yes. Uh, I listened to the audiobook. You read the hard copy. I read the hard copy, and then I listened to the audiobook for my second time around. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we yeah. obviously listened to the uh, audiobook in English, read by Nancy Wu. And it's definitely one of the better audiobooks. I actually listened to it twice, almost in sequence. Almost like as soon as I finished it, I started listening to something else. I think it didn't work. And then I went back to that because I, I knew I had the time to do so. It's a relatively short book. Yeah, I think the audiobook is only seven hours. Yeah. So very, pretty short. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny to think like, yeah, it's seven hours. It's a short book. It's like, yeah, like I've listened to some that are like 45 hours long. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. But yeah, so easily, right out of the gate, one of the weirdest books I've read. Oh, Loved yeah. it though. Yeah, it's weird. Like I remember reading online, people talking about this book and saying... Same thing. Like, this is the most weird thing I've ever read. It's disturbing. It's yeah. hor- horrific. Right out of the gate, I have to disagree with all that. Yeah. I know. I, I heard the same thing. I, I read people say, like, this has got content warnings. Yeah. This has incest, cannibalism. Murder. Um, yeah, like, dismemberment. Abuse, like, sexual abuse. Like, it yeah. has a lot of horrific things. And that is, quite honestly, the, the, the sexual abuse part is definitely, like, the uh, weirdest and most horrible part for me. Yeah. The rest, it was just all kind of part for the course for a book that was, like, A, pitched as weird. Because there, I, I have read quite a bit of what, like, some people call transgressive fiction. And... This is definitely up there in, let's say, uh, some of the body horror aspect of it, some of the the social aspects of transgressive and transgression fiction. Yeah, like, this book is definitely not for everyone. Like, it's not a book that I would tell my friends and family, oh, you have to read this because not everyone's going to enjoy this, I don't think. Yeah, it'll, it'll grow some people out. From the beginning, right? Yes. Like, there's, like, an incestuous relationship between cousins very soon from the start. Yeah. So, and there, yeah, there is, like, we just listed off all the weird stuff in here. So, it's definitely not a crowd-pleaser type of book. And I think we, we went into it knowing that to expect these weird things. I think that blunts it a, yeah, a lot. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I wonder if we didn't know anything about it, how, if we would feel differently. I don't know. But we, we went in knowing to expect these horrible, weird things to happen. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, definitely maybe a bit more shocked at the actual face value of the content in the book. But at the same time, I don't think that my opinion of the reason for those elements to be there and the themes in the book, I don't think that would have changed. My perception no. of it by the end of it, I don't think it would have changed. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think it... It is probably the most important point that I have to make about this book and what I like about it the most, so I'll just come out and say it, is that I think it builds upon so many of the themes that you do see explored in a far more... Tame? Yeah, like restrained, but also Mm -hmm. elegant and socially acceptable way. Not to say that like socially acceptable in that regard is bad or for the sake of making it acceptable, but because it is conveyed in in a way that 
a lot of people it will resonate with them. Mm-hmm. And inconvenience store woman. You're, yes, you're referring and, to and Earthlings. It is just cranked up to twelve. <laughs> yes, and it's still I think the same thing. It's like people not fitting into the social norms of their culture and their time, and their contemporaries. And going out completely the other way. Yes. Like, in this book, for sure. Like, the main character, whose name I forget, actually. <laughs> it starts with an N. What the fuck? It's, oh, Natsuki. Natsuki, yes. Yeah, like, yes. for a second, I was like, oh, that's funny. I don't remember any of the names. I know. <laughs> but she truly feels like an alien on this earthling-filled like planet. Like, she feels within herself, you mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I think a lot of people who have those feelings of feeling like they don't belong, like they can't understand yeah. other people. No, I think they're not understood. Yeah, I think you'll really identify with that aspect of the character's personality. Yeah, and, like, really far beyond the point of, like, like teenage angst. And like, oh, the world doesn't understand my alternative film devotion <laughs> yeah. and, and goth clothes type deal. You know, those are, I think, very much reflections of the same problem. But like, we tend to ascribe it to teenagers because that is where it's so common to see it. Yeah. And I would say most people grow out of that exactly. type yeah, yeah, of yeah. mentality. But in this, in Natsuki's case, for her whole life, at least in the life we see in the book, yeah. She feels like an alien the whole time. Yeah. So into it, her adulthood. Yeah, that, yeah, it's a weird thing how like the, the book feels like at first a an an ode or a, a call to those who are neurodivergent and really often ostracized because of their neurodivergence. Because in so many cases we see like you know the tortured genius type deal. In this case, is is really not that. It very much is somebody who is like a victim of an abusive family, of a system that is not the best for them, and they don't necessarily rebel in the way that you think about, you know, or the way that you see people rebel, the way that like I rebelled when I was mm-hmm. a, a teenager. In this case, it is or an introspection of those ideas, but by the end of the book, it becomes like a full on satire of our perception of those ideas, I think. It, it goes completely nuts into the idea that, like, if you don't fit in society, this is how you are seen. And by the end of the book, they have completely devolved into eating each other <laughs> and thinking that it's logical. And rational. Exactly. And, and, and yeah, they're living in a house, like, three of them, Natsuki, her, her husband, and her cousin. You. Yeah, they're like they're living like they're naked all the time. Like they sleep in piles of clothes on the ground. Like they're very much living very primitively. Yeah. In their little alien kind of commune style living situation. Yeah, and I mean uh, to the point of like the for instance they're aside from that scene, like all the other things that they do I think defend the logic of it well enough. Like at one point they're like stealing their neighbor's food. Mm-hmm. Like they're just raiding every neighbor's house for food. And they kind of rationalize it. Obviously not successfully because, you know, you are stealing somebody else's food, not solely for the sake of survival and then willing to pay. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to shy away and, and hide from, from the factory and from the humans. Mm-hmm. And survive until the ship comes to get you. Yeah. Right. It, it's yeah. like a it's like a complete satire by the end, which is I I'm not sure if that would have been intentional when it was written that way. I wonder if she had that like planned 
because the the pup and papapia and pu and the wicked witch and all those aspects of that are like kind of very easily written off as a childish fantasy that natsuki very much like has as a kid and they they're very easy to kind of say that okay yeah like this is just childish whimsical fantasies and by the end it is a type of delusion and by the end in my opinion is a is a satire of society and normalcy and our apprehensions to the stuff that is different and weird yeah yeah i can see that and yeah i think at the end of it the way the book ends it's kind of these people like took their philosophies kind of to the extreme and they put them into action and they're living their worldview and it's so far removed from regular society (laughs) so strange which is in a way kind of or taking it to the extreme for the sake of comedy or irony is kind of a satire right like that is when you see something satirical it is very Mm -hmm. much like uh doing exactly that yeah yeah so as a whole i loved almost everything about this book i think i'm not i'm kind of trying to 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 justify the almost word there i think i loved it i think it was great i liked it i think a bit more than convenience store woman Although I think that one is a bit more readable. I think it's more relatable as well. Yeah, for like, sure. I, I identified much more with the character in Convenience Store Woman just because it's not as crazy as this book, you know? That one's much more grounded, much more... There's much more reality in that one compared to this one. Yeah, that, that, um, that one is completely real. Yeah. Like, that is just someone who is, like, or a set of people who are neurodivergent and that, like, they're finding their place in the world that yeah. doesn't have a place for them. Yeah. This one is, like, there's, as far as I remember, there's not really any, like, supernatural stuff. I mean, there's, like, the whole magic and, and Natsuki believing that she's, she can do magic and she kind of dissociates from her body and, mm-hmm. and does things unwittingly, unknowingly. Yeah. I don't know if you could consider that any sort of magical supernatural element in the book, but or if that's just her kind of delusions. Yeah, in response to trauma, right? Yes, like a lot it's in of it response is, to that for yeah, sure. It is like shielding herself from the horribleness of, of so many aspects yeah. of her existence. It's a way of, of her coping with the horrible stuff. Like I think that's a real thing. Like people Yeah. I think I've heard people say that when sometimes when you're going through traumatic experiences, you, you truly kind of do dissociate from your body in a, in a in a sense just i guess help your brain deal with what's happening so yeah but all that to say that this one is much more unhinged than convenience store woman like i feel like sayaka murata like really i love that about this book is that she didn't hold back she kind of just put her thoughts and her whatever she wanted this book to be that's what the book is like Absolutely. she she didn't tame it down to be palatable for audiences yes. it's kind of this is what it is oh yeah it's just yeah very unique in that way oh hard agree mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I think i think they're ac- you're absolutely right the first one namely convenience or woman i think that it is an exploration of these same ideas and this one is just what she might have wanted to do with those ideas in a far more radical way, but thinking like this is 
unpublishable or unlikable or something, but it, it, it has something to it. The, this book, the aesthetic, obviously, like you set a book in Japan and already you're winning <laughs> yeah. with, with us, like a book set in Japan, written in Japan, like even mentions Japan. It's like, oh, cool, Japan. You know, like there is already an aesthetic to it, but the literary aesthetic of it, for instance, like we, we were going to record for this podcast, the, what's it called? Before the coffee gets cold. Yeah. And I read half of it, listened to half of it, and it didn't really do it for me. And I didn't pay as much attention to it as I should. I think it was okay. Uh, you enjoyed it. I liked it. I, I liked the cozy cafe atmosphere. Yeah. And and we didn't record it kind of for that reason. So it's not like anything Japan... Automatically yeah, we love. Yeah, we're not necessarily... Or I'm not necessarily yeah, like a, yeah. a, a Japanophile to that point. But... I loved the the house up in Ishina, I think it was called. There yeah. or Akishina. Akishina, there Akishina, you go. Yeah, it's yes. the, like, the mountainous kind of region. Yeah, and the going there with the family. Uh, so many of her family members are not assholes like her her family are. Like mm-hmm. her dad seems to be like kind of standoffish, but like the mom is like super abusive. The sister is super abusive. Yeah, the, the dad is sucks in the way, in the sense that he doesn't stand up for Natsuki at all. He's kind yeah. of he's very much a pushover. Like the mom is the bully in the family, and he just lets it happen. Yeah, or or yeah, and from a different perspective, like with more traditional uh, male female roles, where like. He is like hands off, like no, you're you're the woman, you're her mom. You mm-hmm. handle the raising the kids. I'll pay the bills, and that is the divisional labor. Mm-hmm. Could be seen from that way, I think so too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when 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 they catch them, like I can't remember if they were actually like having sex or like trying to, or like I think they yeah they were like in bed or or like they're naked cuddling up, and then the the, the they get found out. I think like they. They're actually they, having sex. Yes. Yeah, like, I, I think so. I mean, there were, what, like 10 or something? Yeah, they're, they're So kids. their concept of what that is is probably different from fully grown adults, I would think. But I, I think there was, like, yes. Like, you could, they yeah. they did the deed in yeah, a certain yeah, no, sense. Yeah. Now that we're talking about it, I, do, yeah. I, I remember yeah. it, yeah. And they get caught, and the dad didn't talk to Natsuki afterwards for, like, for a while, mm. right? For an inordinate amount of time. Okay. And and the mom's super abusive and the sister is a complete dick. But so many of her family members, like her, obviously her cousin, you, mm-hmm. which was kind of confusing to listen to the audiobook. A lot of the times I thought that I was using, you know, the... You as in Y-O-U. Yeah. The noun you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... And the uncle that, like, sets up stuff for the kids to play or, you know, he plays with the kids or, like, he, he makes, like, a, some sort of pool by the river for them to play in. And, yeah. And the fireworks and the ceremonies. And, yeah, the food. Like, they have big family meals. Like... Yeah, it's a festival. It's the... What's yeah. it called? Something o- Oban or Oban, something yeah. like Oban, that? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there, there was a lot of nice imagery in the book of just cozy Japanese cottage in the mountains with family and food and fun and even to me later on at the end when it's natsuki her husband and you living like clandestinely up there hiding from the factory yeah and we we should talk about the factory yes um 
that also still held that like coziness and like awesomeness and i love that like i was like rooting for these three the entire time yeah. i can see a lot of people reading this book and hating the book but also hating the like, character like the, the characters movie. and also yeah kind of what this stand for i don't know like yeah i i guess at that point that's super subjective whether you find them likable unlikable i don't know i didn't i found them likable there's so many lines that were like straight up hilarious and not necessarily trying to be because they do push the plot forward they do push the ideas and the themes forward but just just hilarious in the absurdity of it and that's kind of when i halfway through the book i think when i started really thinking that this whole thing was like a, a huge satire by the end of what i was convinced of it mm-hmm. but it's still yeah by the end it still held a lot of that charm and a lot of that and it's not just aesthetic. It does sound like I'm just saying, like, oh, I like the house, like with the with the tatami mats and mm-hmm. the the sliding doors and all that. You know, like it's not just the aesthetic, but it evoked a very very nice feeling in me. Even though the crazy shit that was happening around these people is it can't be ignored. Yeah, I think a lot of people reading this are going to be like having the exact opposite opinion. <laughs> like they're probably disgusted because I think. It's different, like, reading about these characters in a fiction novel. You know, this is not real. These are created characters. But imagine if you read about this in real life. Like, these people who went off to live in a cabin by themselves and they murdered, they killed people and ate them. And (laughs) we would think they're crazy. And we wouldn't like them, most likely. No, no, no. Like, yeah, by the end, that's kind of why, like, I, I think my... My understanding of it, 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 my brain shields itself from the idea that, like, these characters, they turn into monsters by rationalizing it with the notion that the the story is indeed a satire. Yeah. So it is not to be taken as, as reality. Yeah, like, I, I agree with you. Like, I liked the characters as well. Mm-hmm. Like, they... Even by the end. You even grow after to love those... them even though they're doing horrible strange yeah. very odd things which is only, only really at the end though yeah because like she yeah. she kills like the guy who rapes her yes other than that there's not really and then there's like the violence the, the intrafamilial violence that occurs when they're kids because they get like found out that they have a relationship she she calls her cousin her boyfriend i don't think that they ever find that out but like they, they catch them having sex essentially and the family ruptures she is essentially shunned, but because she is a kid, like, she is not, you know, a castaway or cast out. Yeah, but essentially it ruins the family in a certain sense, right? Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. Like, they never have that family gathering anymore ever since that happened. Or I think they're not brought to it. Maybe. I think, like, yeah, like, yeah. you and Natsuki are not brought back to yeah. it. But, like, yeah, it is this huge fissure. Yeah. And... But uh, this, yeah, like nothing really. I'd, I'd say like immoral happens in in the book. Until that's, the end, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> until they, they kill the old people, right? Yeah. Um, whose kid was a rapist? So there's there's that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like the book does play a little bit with the with the the notions of like what is okay and what's fine. And her husband has like this couple of moments where he says like. I want to become an alien, so I'm gonna go have sex with my grandfather. And the other was in a coma, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, like uh, and you like spits like miso soup all over the tatami or something. Fuck, I, I listened to that line like ten times. I laughed so much. 
And and the husband, I should look up. Oh, the it's it. uh, it starts with a T. Tomoya. Tomoya. Yeah. Yes, you're good. Yes, you got it. And the husband, he says like, no, but it's okay. Like he's in a he's in a coma. And the other one says like, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like it, it totally plays with like, no, dude, like it's. You know, and, and then he gets in trouble because he actually went to his brother and, like, propositioned to him to have sex with him to become an alien. Yeah. Right? Very deranged line of thinking. Exactly. And in his head, it makes perfect sense. to be like, I want to do, like, the most inhuman thing. Not inhumane, but, like, the most unhuman yeah. thing that I can come up with so that I can stop being a human so that I can become a pop and pop papian, a, a true alien. To dissociate from what he perceives to be the thing that he isn't, which is human. Yeah. I thought, like, the book plays with that idea in a variety of ways. And for the three different characters, it's different and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. It's very weird. Like, their their mindset, their, their logic that they employ is very <laughs> unrelatable because most people aren't, don't think they're aliens. But it makes sense, like, internally with their worldview yeah Yeah. it's very strange for sure Mm. and you want to talk about the factory concept that's interesting yeah so uh amongst the things that that this book has that resonate with me and resonate with us i think that that, that's definitely a big thing because we are not gonna have kids we've decided that we've always known that Mm -hmm. it's something that i've known about myself for a long time i think you as well yeah so i have to put myself in the position in which I look at it from the perspective of someone who would want to have kids and who would have to fight through what they would perceive to be the absurdity of that claim that society is a factory for you to have kids. Although viewed from that perspective, it makes perfect sense, right? Like, especially as a kid, she sees that this is like the entire thing society as a whole is propped up so that people can reproduce yeah you know and like, it's... yeah in her head like that that's the ultimate goal of life yeah and i think in in japan they're much more traditional i think in that sense although i'm sure that's changing with you know more western influences but they're uh, from what we're I under- ruining them yeah from what i understand that that pressure is much more present in that society than I'm it sure, is here like yeah. we thankfully have not experienced that in our family and and in our society but but i think yeah like that pressure of that is your purpose and if you don't achieve that you're you're a failure and yeah you're weird like there's something wrong with you so i totally get why she sees society as a factory like you are meant to produce like a product, like merchandise in the form of babies. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something there because like it, it does make a lot of sense from the perspective of like the parents when when the adult parents of this adult couple find out that they're not having sex, that they're not, and that they've never, yeah, that they've had. never done it, and yeah. that they don't want to do it, and I don't think they ever find out where they met on the website for people yeah. that are like, yeah, um, not looking for a romantic relationship, but they want to like keep their parents off their case yeah yeah like the, the parents like the families have like an intervention essentially yeah and like they they're super mad they're like this is unnatural is not normal it's not like we should split them up and, yeah. and find them other people that's it from that perspective it makes complete and perfect sense that that is the main goal 
as opposed to other things that like you could look at the world and see, for instance, like if you walked out of your house, wherever you are on on the planet, if you live, unless you you know live in a jungle, you could look at the world and see like, okay, everything is propped up so that like there can be cars and that people can live with cars and for cars, right? Because they're everywhere. And obviously that's not the case, although that it could feel that way. Mm-hmm. So the argument is not so much that society demands that you have kids but like you feel the pressure from it in a very very real way in this case it is a real pressure your parents are like you have to have kids her friend at one point says something like oh because she didn't want to drink alcohol and she's like oh and she's like oh yeah sure whatever you know like she doesn't want to talk about it and she doesn't want to bring it up because it's just the second that you and that happens here too i've seen i've seen people mention that here and in the West, mm-hmm. that so like you can't mention that you're not drinking or that you don't want to drink alcohol. If you're a girl, like your friends are right away like, oh, you're expecting or something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's really odd in the book, and I'm sure people in real life experience that. But how much the family gets involved in their private marriage, mm-hmm. you know? It's very creepy how much they care about. <laughs> they're like sex life and they're, yeah, it's they're weird yeah yeah they're adults they live by themselves they have jobs they're completely independent from their parents but in such a culture and in such a worldview because i i've had friends people that like come from the same culture that i come from that have a completely different worldview and that comes from you know generations right and like within the same culture within the same neighborhood people will look at each other and and contrast and compare their worldviews and and think ill of each other mm-hmm. because of the, that contrast sometimes. Lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. All that to say that the, the factory concept is something that comes up. It's a, a part of the book pretty much the whole time. Yeah, it makes sense. Like Natsuki feels that pressure of society that she must fulfill this role, and because she doesn't want that. She feels she must be an alien, so she totally just embraces that, that worldview, and and takes it to the extreme. So, yeah, it's a very interesting concept. Yeah, from that perspective, it, it feels like when she's a kid, and you tells her, kind of out of the blue, in the silly way that kids say silly things for fun, like I think I'm an alien, and I'm gonna go back to my planet at some point. I've been looking for the spaceship, just like mm-hmm. you would say any other silly thing like that. And Natsuki sees the the concept as this perfect representation or as an a means to escape because she needs to because she re- she really should right yeah. even as a child and she is terrified of the adults in a in a very horrible way that I'm sure some people have experienced because there's so many things in this book that are kind of unrealistic for sure but there are so many that are like horribly horribly real Mm-hmm. and that uh, I'm sure a lot of people would read the book and, like, the cannibalism, whatever, the incest, whatever. But then there's, like, the, the, the child abuse aspect of it. Yeah. And it's very real, and it's something that, like, she needs to escape, and she sees the ability to extricate herself from that situation, and that situation is her entire reality because the whole world expects you to whatever abc to have kids to go and become a quote-unquote functioning functional member factory of, component I yeah think factory component. i was gonna say uh, like a function member yeah. member of society but exactly it, it all works for that purpose and you don't work within it 
mm-hmm. right? And her husband has a completely different world uh, approach to the whole thing, but it's kind of because he feels the same way, yeah. right? He wants to be brainwashed. I can't remember if it was the husband, Tomoya, or, or you. I think it's a husband. That he says he wants to be brainwashed so he can be put into the factory and work with the factory so that he can stop being an alien, so that he can stop doing it. And then they change their mind at the end and they want to be aliens and they eat each other and it's great. <laughs> But the point being that like they, they all feel outside of it and that is kind of the whole point right like we're we can kind of go on a, on a circular notion about it but like yeah the factory is is very it's a very real thing you know like the pressures from a society uh having kids is a very real thing of course like most humans have the the, the possibility the ability the the drive many of us do and many of us don't but in so many cases it's perceived as a as a, as a weird thing right And that, I think, is one of the aspects of that this book touches upon that, like, they are coming to a head in our modern society. Like, and they have been for a while, you know, like, this has been happening everywhere, right? Like, from class issues to homosexuality to, like, childlessness, I guess, to that sort of thing, right? Like, not eating meat. Like, it's a, it's a point of contention. Doing, yeah, doing anything out of the norm like, with some exceptions, like, people sometimes have a problem with that. Yeah. And they, they don't hesitate to let you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And in a way, like, this this is something that is so universal, like, having kids to, to so many people that is perceived as, as this universal thing. And Convenience Store Woman, it was part of that, but it was also kind of, like, fitting in society, like, having a successful career. Yes. That was more the crutch of that, I, uh, of, of the same notion But in a different setting where like she had to be, she had to get married was the point and she was single. Yes. And, but also her job, like you said, I think society's pressure is, was telling her you shouldn't be satisfied with working in the convenience store. This is not something that people do long term, like shame on you, essentially. Yeah, yeah. The career focusedness of society yeah. is the aspect where here it's a bit more on like you reproducing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like marriage and then having a quote-unquote having a family as they say even though it's still a family with two people and a cat yeah um but yeah so that's i love those themes of these books they're yeah yeah, very relatable not to the extent like like i said before like i've never felt that level of pressure but some people have many people have Mm -hmm. and it's it's a real thing absolutely and i think yeah it, it is a point of contention and it's coming to a head in so many aspects of our lives like so much of the identity politics that we find ourselves distracted from the real issues quite frankly they are very much like that's the core of them the fact that like some people are different than you and you don't like that mm-hmm. right yeah and you're gonna have to accept it because you, you fucking have to sorry yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that's why I, i loved it it's not just like oh look i'm different and i'm weird and like you kind of have to like deal with it nerd yeah but very much like there is a very ugly aspect to it it's like i mean if you're uh i think like uh being a member of the lgbtq you would really see yourself represented in some way here even though there isn't like much homosexuality or queerness in the book no but the fact that like the world sees you as different and there is a growing momentum And in reality, I'm speaking of, 
that we're seeing a lot of friction on that, right? Like you would like we never would have thought like some 10 years ago that 10 years later that would be one of the biggest points of political friction mm-hmm. in the 2020s because it felt like we had gotten past that. I mean, we live in Canada. It's positively the one of the best places in the world to be gay. And still we find a whole bunch of hatred and unacceptance and pushback to the acceptance of the other. Mm-hmm. I love this book for that. Yeah, it's it was great. And <laughs> there are so many funny lines as well, like you said. And I don't know how much of that is just due to translating from such a different language. Like maybe the words don't perfectly represent how it was written in Japanese, potentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's so many like funny lines and just the dialogue a lot of the time was just so weird. And like they always talked about my testes and my, my oh, womb yeah, yeah, yeah. and... It's just <laughs> so funny, like... Yeah, they're, like, factory parts. Yeah, like, like the they, factory... They belong to the factory. Yes, yeah, like, your testes belong to the factory, and, you know, I want my testes to be my own, and it's just funny things that... People don't talk like that in real life, but, I mean, these people... I've never encountered people like this in real life, either. Yeah. So, it's just, just really cute, outside of the story, just reading it. It had a lot of charm in that sense, too. Oh, yeah, I think, like, yeah, like, as a work of of literary fiction it's highly readable yeah even though i didn't read it (laughs) i listened to it i thought it was captivating and the performance was also great i think that like nancy Wu's reading of this book was part of what made me like it so much but i did pick up the hard copy that you had from the library Mm -hmm. and and read a few lines from it here and there and i I thought it was great i wanted to see like what the the spelling of pop and papapia was (laughs) and that's something i wonder so much in japanese does it make those sounds? And that's why the translator translated it to pop and papapia. Or if they or, came up with a completely new yeah, thing. Yeah, did she yeah. completely make up a new a new word to kind of represent a weird word in Japanese? I'd love to know that. I can't say for sure because I'm not... So I'm, I'm going to be wrong here and, pro- and probably accept that. But I think that in Japanese, the symbols represent syllables. Okay. So that you could, in in theory, if if those are phonemes that exist and they are um, symbolized in what you consider the the Japanese language to be, you know, the, the, these these symbols that make up the Japanese language in written form. I think so. I think that it could be so. Mm-hmm. I think that, like in theory, you could find if if the phonemes exist, you could find ways to spell your name and my name. In I can't remember what it's called. It's like harigana or katakana or something. That they're like oh. the, the uh, kanji. Kanji is, is that one thing. of them? I don't know. I don't know. What I don't know. So like, yeah. some, somebody who knows is listening to this and laughing their ass off. <laughs> yeah. like we sound ignorant. so clueless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so funny. Like when you don't know about something and you start talking about it, like I have no fucking idea what no. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know much at all anything about the Japanese language, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, those little details of, of I wonder what it was like in the original form is, yeah. yeah. Part, of, part of what makes me think that it may be is because so many of the, of Japanese names and Japanese words, at least to me, like I'm a Hispanophone, my first, my mother tongue is Spanish and being phonetic, a phonetic language, unlike English, it is written as it is spoken 
And I see that very much with, with Japanese, the way that like the names are written, they're highly readable. That's why like, I read a Japanese name, I can pronounce it like with no problem, as opposed to like other languages, right? Like Arabic, for instance, even though I can make the sounds that are spoken in Arabic, like with, with Japanese is usually, it's very, you know, like Natsuki, Tomoya. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're not putting like the stresses in the right syllable potentially mm-hmm. like I, i've never heard those names um i think that they have a, a a soft stress in the middle syllable okay uh if it's not that it's the last syllable yeah because yeah yeah it's like natsuki okay yeah all that to say we love the book <laughs> definitely not something like i said at the beginning that i would like recommend to anyone <laughs> it's only for people who i guess are very open with what they read and... uh yeah I, th- I think that yeah uh, I was kind of like lo- looking for the the counterpoint to that argument, but I think that like they, there definitely will be a significant number of people who would like take issue with this book yeah, and with this or, content, or like they might not like be offended, but they just wouldn't enjoy it. Maybe yeah, like they wouldn't. It wouldn't be enjoyable to some people, most likely. Yeah, uh, I think I watched a video, or I think I watched part of a video by Books and Bao, the Willow from Books and Bao, uh, who's a YouTuber. And she loves this book. She loves these, um, this author. Mm-hmm. And I think she made a video where she reads one-star reviews on Goodreads. Uh, and I, I've seen a bunch of YouTubers do that. And what, I think that's a great idea. Like, we should probably do that from time to time. It'd, yeah. It'd probably be funny. But especially, obviously, like, reading books that you would maybe give five stars. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then kind of the reacting opposite, exactly. to the bad reviews. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's a ton on Goodreads. Yeah, for this. controversial books especially. Yeah. But also, like, yeah, like, if you love it to find stuff that you hate or, yeah. or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's always, yeah. But yeah, I totally get that this book is not for everyone. A lot of people just won't be able to get past just the weird shit that's in it. And it starts off pretty quickly. Yeah. So it's not like the ending is really weird and it's going to, like, change your perception of it or something. Although, I mean, yeah, I did not expect the ending at all. I knew that it was going to be weird. And I think I knew there was cannibalism in it before reading it. And even then, I still, I kind of didn't see that coming. Yeah. Especially the whole thing where, like, they're so completely okay. And then that, that's kind of, like, where I, I have to lean into the idea that it's a satire. Because, like, they're biting into each other and they're not expressing pain. Yeah. So that's kind of, like, where it's, like, okay, it's this has transcended the notion of reality completely and gone into a, like, a metaphysical representation of, mm-hmm. of the ideas more yeah. so than... Than reality itself. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's, I think there's a part where one of them is chewing on the other person's eyelid, and there's, like... And they're having a conversation. Yeah, like, happening. there's there's yeah. no talk of any blood, or, yeah, like you said, any pain, so... Exactly. Yeah, very, very <laughs> funny, like, funny stuff in there. Yeah, but original, like, tremendously original. Yeah. Like, I, I, I have read weird books and seen weird stuff, and being, like significantly desensitized to the transgressive and the body horror it really caught me by surprise i thought it was captivating and and highly enjoyable i mean again like i listened to it twice in a row Mm -hmm. that should tell you something yeah and like we said earlier i just and like you just said i just i love how there's no restraint here like there's no censoring of any ideas as far as we know it's just the author wanted to write this and include these really 
disturbing elements Mm -hmm. and she did and it's a story and it's a book and it got published and yeah i just i just love that how there's there's no holding back like you can just i love when people do that yeah yeah and use those elements to like hyperbolically represent so many of the ugly shit that happens in society that is true and a lot of it because like i mean she is molested as a kid the character and that is a horrible thing that happens exactly like that but then there's like the other aspects of reality that are horrible to so many people because they are different and because they don't fit into the mold of what is normalcy within their society, within their contemporary lifetime. And and not everyone sees it that way. Like everybody or most people consider child abuse horrible and it's an, a universally immoral thing. Whereas being forced into marriage being forced into parenthood are horrible things to a lot of people but not everybody sees it that way and i think what you're saying is that she unapologetically expresses those ideas mm-hmm. in both content and method yeah yeah and takes those ideas like to the extreme to a a crazy conclusion and yeah i appreciated that yeah sure loved it yep uh there's also another book by her i think there are short stories i know you're not huge on short stories but uh i think you should read it i mean i love this author so yeah there you go i think there's uh, very much like so many authors in translation even the big ones like haruki murakami for instance has tons of books that are not translated to english yet even though he is arguably the most famous japanese author in translation that I know of, I'm pretty sure. If he's not the first, definitely high up there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same, it's, that's also the case with with Sayaka Murata. I think that there are quite a few that we don't have access to. But we might in the future. So there's more to love. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Come on, Jenny, like start translating, lady. Yeah, her translator is really good. I watched an interview with the both of them mm-hmm. and like you can tell that yeah, it's so cute. Like, Sayaka Murata is, like, so... She's so cute and meek and, like, this, like, you know... Soft-spoken qu- yeah, kind of tiny Yeah, quiet little person. lady. Yeah. yeah, and... She has these weird ideas in her head. <laughs> yeah, I love that, though. She puts them out there and, like, yeah. Did, yeah. What else have you read recently? Uh, Well, I've read a book that you recommended that we're hopefully going to record an episode about. So Ooh, yes, no I don't know. Spoilers. Yeah, maybe we should keep that. No, absolutely. On the DL. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's the Mountain and the Sea by Ray Naylor coming up in a new special science fiction edition what? of the Apartment Library. <laughs> Hold on to your butts. Yep, you convinced me to read another sci-fi. And you loved it. I liked it, yeah. I liked it. Okay. It was good. It was great. I liked it. Okay, I haven't finished but it, so now I'm nervous. More... No, don't be. But we will have our discussion next time so keep an eye out for that episode coming up Mm -hmm. at some point no promises um yeah right now i'm reading um the listening house by mabel seeley it's a book that i never heard of i just saw it displayed at the library read the back saw that it was like a mystery which i love so i picked it up and i'm really liking it adventurous yeah it. it was written in the 1930s so I love that with that setting. Like, it's a really nice vibe. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's very mysterious. I'm about halfway through. Neat. Yeah. 
okay, well, once you finish it, you might tell me about it. And that has happened a couple of times. We read a book, you told me it was great, and then I read it or vice versa. And it ended up being a podcast episode. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, what about you? Right now I'm listening to The Outlaw Ocean by Ian Urbina. And that's from a podcast that we both loved. Yes. It's like, it's investigative reporting of the kind that I love. It has this approach of kind of like almost gonzo journalism where Urbina has like gone onto ships and traveled the world pursuing essentially all manner of crime out in the ocean from illegal fishing to slavery and this other type of transgressions in the ocean some of them are moral but illegal like for instance there's a a woman who performs abortions oh yeah like out of the like jurisdiction of a exactly exactly like the ocean jurisdiction yeah like they park right outside where they're in international waters that's so smart yeah i remember that in the podcast yeah Yeah. so like there was one in in mexico i think and like you could hear the people in the back so yeah the the podcast is fantastic it's called the same as the outlaw ocean by i think uh la times and and yeah 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 because he was he was a new york times writer but oh so is it new york times why do i think la times i think it's produced by i think you're right it is produced by the la times and i think that like his reporting was in the la times but he was, for about 10 years, uh, a staff writer, I think, or a reporter, mm-hmm. correspondent. So just all, all the journalism words. <laughs> all the things. Yeah. Uh, for the New York Times. And the New York Times didn't want him going any deeper into that. Oh. Yeah. Bad New York Times. <laughs> yeah, I think that they were just like... Uh, I think that like he had been on it for a while. I think that he worked on it for like 10 years or something. Okay. And, and they're like, and, okay, time to move on. Yeah, like, we thing. have other issues that need coverage, yeah. you know. Like, okay, like, so we that makes have, sense. Yeah, it's not like the, a censorship or anything yeah. like that. But yeah, the, the podcast is fantastic. It's uh, seven or eight episodes. And I'm listening to the book and it's also... It obviously goes like far more into depth into this thing, but like, yeah, I would recommend anyone to, to to listen to the first episode of the podcast. Is this like high stakes chase at sea, which ended up being like the longest? I don't want to call it a, a jurisdictional type of deal, but it is. Yeah, like it's a an NGO chasing an illegally an an illegal vessel uh, a a wanted vessel, and it's literally an Interpol's most wanted list. Wow. It's awesome. Well, actually, I've started quite a few books and didn't continue because they weren't doing it. And I'm going to go back to them for sure. One of them is All Systems Read by Martha Wells. So the first book in the Murderbot series, which is... I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot. I just I just wasn't paying attention to it when I was listening to it. Uh, there's one I want to float to you. It's uh, How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. We'll have to look into that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember a lot of people have liked that recently. Okay. That's all good. And and on the horizon, we want to read the newest book by Wabgishig Rice. Yes. Right? Is that his, his last name is Rice? Yeah. Right? Okay, good. <laughs> the latest book by Wabgishig Rice is called Moon of the... Fallen Leaves? Crusted Leaves? I think it's... Well, it was Crusted Snow, the first Most, one, right? Moon of the Crusted Snow, the other one is like... Fallen Leaves, moon, I think. Uh, I think... Either way, it's a sequel to an episode that we've recorded previously. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we bought it. We have it. and I, th- I think it's also because there's that movie that came out of Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, yeah. So that kind of maybe interferes in your brain with the title. I don't know. Big time. 
I'm looking it up. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's fallen leaves. Turning leaves. Turning leaves. Yeah. Okay. Moon of the turning leaves. <laughs> okay. Jesus. Okay, the fall. That's why like, we keep thinking fallen leaves, crusted leaves, like yeah, crunch, crunchy yeah, leaves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Wub Gishig. We got your title wrong. But Sorry, Sorry Wub. We will. We're reading that soon. Our so. fellow Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Come back next time. We will have more special sci-fi for you. And if you want to recommend us anything or if you have any comments or feedback, our email address is apartmentlibrarypodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.